Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today, I am going solo, and I wanted to come on to the podcast this week and talk about a few things, actually. So first, I've gotten some requests lately to focus like exclusively on intuitive eating for an episode or two. So I thought that would be interesting. But I also wanted to sort of like talk about the purpose of the podcast and sort of like reiterate why I'm here. So I guess I have to do that for myself as well. But um, yeah, the, the one of the reasons why I started the podcast, I'll tell you the, a bunch of reasons, but was really to educate people about intuitive eating. Now, I'm not the only one that has a podcast on intuitive eating. In fact, there's many podcasts on intuitive eating. I believe the first one to really tackle this in a podcast was Christy Harrison on Food Psych. And when I first heard about intuitive eating, which was now maybe four or five years ago, um, which I've spoken about on the podcast, the story of how I heard about intuitive eating. So you could go back to my previous episodes, which I could link here. Um, I think that that's where I got a lot of my resources from was Christy Harrison's podcast. Now, I think she has like two or 300 episodes at this point. She has many episodes. She has a book called Anti-Diet, which I love and highly recommend to most of my clients. And I talk about it a lot on my Instagram um, but now there's like po- podcasting is such a big thing. Like everybody has a podcast, just like people have Instagram, they have a, their own podcast. So I started my podcast about two, almost two years ago. And it was actually, I was planning on starting the podcast right before COVID. So I ended up being that I started my podcast right when COVID was starting, which I didn't even realize at the time was like, wow, this is awesome. Like now I have like this resource to like share with people while they were quarantining. Who even remembers the quarantine? You know, it feels like so long ago. Um, but so I'll just give you some background into how that all started. So I've spoken about this before, but I started my private practice again around like four years ago, five years ago, um, started dabbling with it. I was working um, full time in a nursing home, being a regular clinical dietitian. I had, I wanted to be a dietitian for many years. And when I started working in the field, it was very, very clinical and there was a lot of charting. And I guess now I can see the difference between private practice and working in a nursing home is that when you walk into a resident's room, they don't necessarily want to see a dietitian. You are just, you just have to see every resident upon admission. So when they're admitted and every three months after that, or when they're readmitted. So 
sometimes um, residents will be admitted to the hospital and then they'll be readmitted 24 hours later and you have to do a whole new assessment and they don't usually want to see you. I mean, sometimes they really do want to see you and then you become dietitian lady or kitchen lady and you're really more like a glorified waitress. You're not really doing so much for the client, for the resident. I hate to say that. I'm just saying in my own clinical experience, it's like, hi, I'm Gila. I'm your dietitian. Um, could I, what could I get you? Oh, I want this. I want that. Well, you're on a diabetic diet, explaining that to them. Well, I don't care. Okay. Then you're charting that the resident's non-compliant. It's like, it feels like a lot of, um, you know, battling with the client more than with the resident, more than educating them. Obviously I had some great experiences with residents, but the difference in a private practice is that people call you and they want to meet with you and they want to change something that they're doing. Otherwise they wouldn't reject, right? I mean, sometimes there's resistance to change, but for the most part, they're, they're calling you and reaching out to you because they want to work with you specifically and they want to make the changes that you have to offer. So that's been really rewarding. So um, I would say that if you are starting your own business, specifically if you're a dietitian starting your own practice, we're not really trained how to do that in, in, in our schooling. So I graduated my RD. So it was, I took my test on September 18th and my son Simcha was born October 1st. So Simcha turned six this October. So that means this September, it's been six years since I passed my RD exam. But really, I would say my clinical experience is about seven years because the internship counts as clinical experience. So, um, so I, I would say seven years ago when I started my internship and then all my schooling, I don't think I really learned anything about private practice. So when you decide that you want to do private practice, so I decided I wanted to do private practice. And I also decided that I wanted to go the intuitive eating route, which I didn't learn much of anything about in school, to be honest. So I was like, okay, well, now I have to learn how to be a business owner. I have to learn how to be an intuitive eating RD. And I have to learn how to run a practice. I have to learn how to counsel. It was, it was, it was feeling like nearly impossible. So if you're like, again, like I just said, starting a business or specifically uh, your own private practice as a dietitian or as a therapist or whatever you're doing in private practice, there's so many things that you feel maybe you did learn in school. I didn't. And most of the people I know who are dietitians have very similar experiences as I did. So I would say that the funny thing is, is that like when you hire like a business coach or you work with somebody like the first like month or two months or three months is like working on your mindset and your confidence and your imposter syndrome. Like I can't do this now. I recently was reading a book. I think it's by Adam Grant that Rachel Tuckman recommended. And she was talking about how imposter syndrome could be a good thing. So I liked his spin on that because so many of us, at least in my space of like self-help and development and people who I follow who um, start their own businesses and they're really trying to get you out of the imposter syndrome mindset. That was like a humbling experience to be like, right, there's so much that you, there really is so much that you don't know. But the point really is to say to yourself, like, it doesn't really matter that like you, you're not like as expert as you want to be. You're more expert than the person who's coming to you because you have the experience and the knowledge. And even if you were self-taught, you still have that knowledge. So sort of like putting this um, imposter syndrome in perspective is important. Like, yes, you could have your doubts about yourself. And that's like, I guess, healthy um, humbleness. But you also have to remember that like, especially a dietitian who's been through five or six years of schooling, like you do know a lot, like you might be per perfecting your expertise or you might be taking extra trainings. Like 
even now, five, you know, five, six years later, after I have the RD exam and I have the intuitive eating training, I'm taking more trainings because I want to grow my knowledge base and I want to grow my experience. I, so on one hand, I still could feel like an imposter in some ways. On the other hand, I'm still trying to not challenge the imposter syndrome voice in a way. It's like more like, okay, so what else should I learn? Where, where else can I go? And there's always more to learn and there's always more to self-doubt. So like you kind of have to find the balance that works for you that you're not feeling paralyzed by the fear of changing your life because everything that you do, no matter what, that's, that you're changing, we usually do have some level of fear or imposter syndrome or like, how am I going to get this done? Like going back to my years of starting the practice, it was like, it, like what I just said was like, okay, I know how to be an RD and I know how to be a dietitian in a nursing home really well, but I don't know how to counsel necessarily. I don't have experience counseling. I don't have experience billing insurance. I don't have experience onboarding clients. I don't have, um, you know, um, marketing experience. Like how would I have that? I didn't go to school for marketing. I went to school to be a dietitian. So that in and of itself could drive you away. Now, again, what I've learned is that like, some personalities drive really well. I've always wanted to own my own business. So side note about me is that I'm the fourth of nine in a big family. And like, ever since I could remember, I've always been like saving money and thinking like, hey, one day, like I'll have a plan for money and starting a business. And I always had that in my head. Like, how do you start? I always wanted to start my own business. So for me, I was drawn to the field of entrepreneurship. But for some other people, they're like, I never want to be an entrepreneur. I never want to be in charge of anything myself. And they have, I, I never really liked working for somebody else, but I mean, there were aspects that were easier, but I always kind of had my own like creative side that I wanted to see where it took me. So entrepreneurship fits really well with that. And then because intuitive eating is so niche and then in the RD space, it also makes more sense because you're not going to like go into a center and be like, could I work as an intuitive eating RD? No, you can't actually. So like, unless you have your own practice, you can't really practice however you want to. So that was also something important for me to keep in mind. So um, so I worked with um, Tippy Gross, who used to own the company Hava Tribe, and she also is a business coach. So at the time she was running these masterminds, which was me and two other from female entrepreneurs, and we were all starting, our, starting out our business. And at the time, Tippy had started her podcast, and she was really liking it. And I was like, yeah, I want to start a podcast. And I've probably said this a hundred times on the podcast also, like I have this like really serious, severe fear of public speaking. And so many people who listen to my podcast are like, really? Like you speak every week. Speaking and interviewing are so different. They're such different skills. I love interviewing people. I don't even feel, I feel a little nervous before I interview somebody. What am I going to say? What are they going to say? Is there going to be quiet moments? The more you think about it, the more anxious you could get. But it's really fun. And you're sort of playing off of the um, person that you're interviewing, like story. And I guess I like to hear other people's stories. So like I could talk a lot, but I also like to draw from other people's stories. So kind of like honing your skills. Like, yes, I, I tried for a long time to be like, I'm going to overcome this fear of public speaking. And one day I'm going to be a really good public speaker. I don't like, honestly, right now think that that will ever happen. It could happen. Um, I thought about doing, um, people have told me about Toastmasters where you like sign up for this group of people where you um, you have to speak like in front of everybody. Um, you have to go to meetings. Like I've thought about doing that. I really did. Tr I really do want to like get out of this comfort zone of like not speaking publicly. Like I feel like it does quote unquote handicap me. 
sometimes. And then other times I just think, okay, I'll just be more of like an interviewer than like a speaker. But public speaking is so important to grow your brand and your business and people to get to know you and move your name. So Hashem runs the world. And I think that you always have to know like your level of comfort. Like if you're having a panic attack every time you're going to do something outside of your comfort zone, is that really worth it? I don't know. I don't know the answer, but something that I think about often, like, should I just keep pushing myself to get better at public speaking or should I just stick to what I'm already good at and comfortable with and hone that skill? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's a question that I have. So anyways, back to the mastermind with, with Tippy, And that's how I met Miriam Marciano. We did a podcast together and um, Miriam, who is an artist, who's like one of my first episodes also, she's a therapist slash artist. So she was really interesting to get to know and speak to you on the podcast. Um, so I was, I was talking about doing the podcast and to be, and the people in the mastermind really encouraged me. And I was like, well, I'm not tech savvy. How am I going to get the, the, the things that really get you down? Like, how am I going to do the cover? And Tippy's like, you'll pay someone to do it if you can't do it. And I paid someone to do it. And then we put the podcast, my intern helped me put it on Libsyn. And that was not user-friendly. So then I had to move the podcast over to Anchor, which is very user-friendly if you're looking for a podcast and a plug for Anchor. And, and it's free and lips in $15 a month. And um, it was, and then the podcast was doubled, downloaded or uploaded on Lipson and on Anchor. So that was kind of like a glitch, but then it just became easier. And um, it's it's very much like, multi there's a bunch of reasons why I do the podcast so first of all nowadays it's January 2020 2022 um so much of like marketing your brand is like not necessarily putting it in like a magazine publication or whatever but it's like showing up and talking about your brand and content creation so that's like Instagram Facebook LinkedIn YouTube but then there's podcasts so like it's actually funny because I've recently been noticing like some people who talk on their Instagram stories, I'm not trying to knock anyone, but I'm just saying they're not like fantastical. Like they don't have like that very raw, raw personality. So you like kind of like don't want to watch them on Instagram. I guess that's like the nature of Instagram. It's very like, you know, into the pictures and the way people look, unfortunately, that's just the way, that's just what, how the platform is designed. But on Anchor, or I mean, on when you listen to somebody on podcasts, I, first of all, you don't see them. I mean, some people do, I do upload my, my podcast to YouTube, but some people don't see them. Um, like sometimes like that more serious voice where you don't see them does so much better on, 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 on the podcast. So you're like not following them so much on Instagram, but you're noticing that like you're really enjoying their podcast. And that was something really interesting to see, because again, going back to like public speaking versus interviewing like they're really different skills and if you could like learn what you're good at and what speaks to you and what's easier for you even if it's not necessarily easy it's sometimes important to like hone the skills that you're naturally good at I don't know something again to think about so um anyways I was I was really enjoying the podcast I was getting to speak to really cool people I was getting positive feedback and yes it's to promote my brand and my business but as time went on and it's almost been two years the sad truth is, is that eating disorders and disordered eating are so dangerous and prevalent in the world, not just in the religious world, but in the world that like, 
a part of me wanted to stick to just disorder eating and not eating disorders because eating disorders are like, you know, we have to involve, we, we always have to involve the whole team, but we must involve the medical team and the therapist and getting sometimes having to get the weights and having to get the vitals. And you're feeling like it's just more serious to treat. And I definitely need more training and I am getting more training. And I interviewed my, one of my supervisors, Jessica Setnick, and I've gotten, in, I've gotten supervision from Evelyn Tripoli, the author of, one of the authors of Intuitive Eating, and Dina Cohen, all people who have been on the podcast. And that's really important. So I just feel like, yes, I am sticking mostly to disordered eating, but like, if I don't do it, who will? Like the eating, this, who's going to touch the eating disorder stuff? Like, who's going to treat it like it has to be treated it has to be spoken about so like even sometimes schools reach out to me or people reach out to me I'm like ah don't ask me I'm not a public speaker but at the same time I'm like no Hila, like you have to show up and do what your calling is like what you've struggled with yourself and what you've had I don't want to say success treating but like obviously it is sort of like my calling and so it is a marketing thing like I show up and people get to know me but at this point I've already had 80 plus episodes. It's not, if you, if you follow me, cause you know me and you like the content that I put out, then you follow me. But now it's more like, there's so much that needs to be said on the topic of eating disorders and intuitive eating. So I do want to spend a few minutes just talking about like what intuitive eating is, maybe what it isn't, how, it, why it's important to follow an intuitive eating way of life. If that's something that speaks to you or you're struggling with disorder eating. So Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Resch, the authors of Intuitive Eating, actually wrote the book, Intuitive Eating, in the 1990s. And they were both working in the field of private practice nutrition for many years. And they were seeing this pattern that like they would put their clients on a diet or a sensible meal plan, and the clients would lose, meet their goal weight and feel great and feel happy. And then one month or two months or one year or five years later, the clients would start returning and they would have, they gained back the weight, they gained back even more weight. They're feeling this added sense of guilt, shame, frustration, anger at themselves, not at the dietitian, not at the diet. So a lot of weird phenomena is going on. Why are they gaining back the weight? Why are they blaming themselves? What's not working? What are we doing wrong? What, what are diets doing wrong? So that's when they look to the weight research and intuitive eating has changed so much because it's been like 30 years since the original book was written. But they looked to the research and they weren't able to find long-term study, long-term meaning five years plus of people losing weight from a diet and keeping it off. And um, intuitive eating has evolved so much from when it was originally written, written till now because then there was still some like weight bias things included in the book. But now it's like, then the other book came out, Health at Every Size, and that whole Health at Every Size movement came out, Body Positivity. Um, but the weight research doesn't, doesn't prove true. The information that we've been kind of like conditioned to believe that like being overweight, quote unquote, is terrible for your health and it's all your fault. And if you tr had enough willpower, you could lose as much weight as you want. And everyone is destined to be a size two if they really cared, if they really tried, right? So that's like a lot of what... Um, mainstream media sort of feeds us. And when you get into the intuitive eating world and health at every size world, you become so sensitive to it because it's like, oh my gosh, it's everywhere. I just did a post on Instagram, like try, I dare you to have a one Shabbos meal without talking about weight or dieting or detoxing. Like it's everywhere. And sometimes you really wonder as like an, or an Orthodox religious person, like 
it's not so much like a part of our value system to be like so obsessed with the way that we look, but it's become because whatever under the guise of like health or taking care of your body or it's important to look good. And I'm not saying health or looking good aren't important things, just the level of priorities have been, it seems have been skewed. And I, I treat people in all different communities. So like when I treat someone on, in the more like religious community or the Hasidic community, and they're telling me that all oh, their friends are talking about their latest diet, I, I really wonder like even people who don't necessarily have social media, like how did it become so seeped into our culture? It reminds me of like, you know, the time of the times of when like the Greeks were sort of like really putting the human body like on a pedestal and how important it was to like look good. And now it's like so many years later and like we know so much about like our value system. And I feel like we're so, a lot of us are like very clear on what our value system is, but it still has seeped so deep into our culture. So like a lot of people who read the book Intuitive Eating and they hear me talking about this or hear other people talking about it, they're like, yeah, that does make so much sense. I want to have like a mindset shift and I want to still take care of my body, still take care of my health. Remember the phrase, weight is not a behavior. Like I could still focus on my healthy behaviors, increasing my fruits and vegetables and my fiber intake and my movement without having guilt and shame around their bodies. And that's really the basic goal and premise of intuitive eating is it's weight neutral. So we don't focus on weight and it's anti-diet, meaning it's not a diet at all. So I guess a lot of times when people hear that, they're like, oh yeah, it's not a diet. It's not a diet, right? Like we say that about everything. People say that, oh, it's like, is it like Noom? It's not a diet like Noom? No, Noom is still kind of a diet. So how do I explain that? How do we differentiate? So intuitive eating is there are 10 principles and they're all designed to help you have a healthy relationship with food. So um, it's very clear in the book that there's no specific order of how to work through the intuitive eating principles. I've sort of like developed my own way of working with a client through the principles, but I will always, I always tell that to the client, like sometimes we'll focus more on this. Sometimes we'll focus more on this. It really depends. And that's definitely part of being a good clinician. Like you need to it's not very, you can't prescribe, it's not one size fits all, right? Like you have to get to know the client and get to know their needs and work work on, with them so that they could sort of articulate what their goals are. But um, so the first principle of intuitive eating is called reject the diet mentality. So um, in the first like one or two sessions, I'm not really like working so much with the client to reject the diet mentality, more just to show them how the diet mentality has affected their life specifically. So that means that I will ask them to um, think about their earliest childhood memory around food. Sorry, it's cold season. Um, think about their earliest childhood memory around food. And a lot of times that sparks like a longer discussion about like in my house, I wasn't allowed to eat dessert when my older, my other siblings were because they were in smaller bodies or none of us were allowed to eat dessert or we were shamed for eating dessert or to the point where I stole my parents' money or used their credit at the store because I needed the chocolate bar or the candy or the cookie or the piece of cake. So um, that will come out a lot in the first or second session. And then we'll piggyback off of that information. Like, right, remember, like, well, let's go back to um, when you were five or 10 and you had that really humiliating experience around food and that's coming up for you now, right? That's always like important to know for me and for the client to sort of remember because, you know, you could go through um, a session and be like, well, I didn't realize, I just talked about that for the last half an hour. I didn't realize how much that experience affected me. So that's always important 
for me to know and for the client to hear themselves. And then the next few principles that I will put together are honor your hunger, respect your fullness, and the satisfaction factor of food. So honor the, the way that we do the honor your hunger, respect your fullness, satisfaction, there's a hunger fullness scale that's in the intuitive eating workbook. Um, you can probably Google it and find different variations of that, but that's um, really demystifying the concept of a diet, which is like what to eat, when to eat, and how much to eat. And the hunger fullness scale is like, what does hunger feel like in your body? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, am I hungry because my stomach's growling or am I hungry because I'm so irritable? Am I hungry because my throat feels dry? Am I hungry because my hands are shaking? So like most of us, including myself, like nobody said like, oh, you're hungry. What does that feel like in your body? Like getting in touch with your physical body, not like, oh, it's two o'clock and the diet says I have to eat in two hours. So we, when we do follow diets and the, the longer you have been following a diet, the longer it's ingrained in your head. Like I can't be hungry. I just eat. So you have to remember that when you're going through treatment, like, okay, if I've dieted for 20 years, it's not going to take you 20 years to learn the intuitive eating principles, but it might take longer. It might take, I can't give you a specific amount of time, but it might take longer for you to um, get in touch with those hunger fullness cues. Sometimes in the beginning, I have people setting alarms just to help them check to see if they're hungry. But the ultimate goal is to not have to use the alarms. Also checking in with yourself. What does fullness feel like? What does comfortable fullness feel like? What does satisfaction feel like? The difference between the two. Noticing that different foods um, give you different levels of satisfaction and at different times, right? So like if it's the winter, you might not want a smoothie. You might want a hot bowl of soup, but that depends on you. That depends on your personality. Some people love to eat. I don't like to eat ice cream in the winter. I only like to eat it when I'm really hot. That's just me. Some people are like, you're crazy. I love ice cream always. Yeah, I just don't really like to eat it when I'm when I'm cold or the weather's cold, it just makes me feel really cold. So, so that's just me. Um, and also people feel different levels of hunger. People like, um, I always say this, like when I wake up in the morning, I'm always really hungry. So it doesn't matter if, sorry, it doesn't matter if I had a huge meal the night before I wake up really hungry. And I will sometimes say like, I'm, I'm not like, I feel starving, but once I have like a one bowl of cereal or a half of a protein bar, then I feel really full and I know I have to wait another hour or two and then finish my breakfast. So I sort of have breakfast in like two shifts and that's just me. And I hear that from clients too. Like I'm not hungry at all in the morning. I'm starving in the morning. I get really hungry at lunch. I don't like to eat past um, a five or a six on the hunger fullness scale at lunch because then I have to sit at my desk with a full stomach. So really subjectivity, getting in touch with your body physical hunger, physical fullness, and satisfaction. And then we talk about emotional hunger because until you could really understand your body's cues, your physical cues, it's hard to know, is this physical hunger? Is this emotional hunger? And then we really talk about, um, for sure, this is important if the client has a therapist, is working with a therapist to, for me and the therapist and the client to troubleshoot, like, what are your other coping skills? Have you learned to use food, either restricting or binging or food in general? to cope with your emotions, what are other tools that we could use? And not just that, what are the um, your automatic negative thoughts around your body and your food? So that's a lot of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where your thoughts create your feelings and your feelings create your behavior. So if you're binging, you're restricting, you're um, using food in other ways, what's the thoughts? So we have to really um, unpack those thoughts. And that's that could be sessions and sessions of 
end session, that could also be taking a sticky note and taking that to their therapist. But that, those are all important things to unpack. What are you constantly saying to yourself? And that's where like, I always say like intuitive eating could lead to like intuitive living because like maybe through our sessions, the client realizes how hard they are on themselves, not just about food in their body, about everything, how, they re- how they're putting things in wrong categories in their head, things in my control, things not in my control. I can control my healthy behaviors. I cannot control my weight, right? Trying to help them. The same thing, I can control the way I behave towards my kids. I can't control the way they behave towards me. So what does that have to do with your eating? Well, it has a lot to do with your eating because what's what's your thought pattern? So sometimes the way that you relate to food and the way that you relate to your body, well, those thought patterns, we see a thought pattern in your whole life. And then we start to develop the concept of self-compassion, which intuitive eating really talks about. Like, am I yelling at myself? Am I berating myself? And do I feel uh, an, an crazy amount of guilt? Does it help me in any areas of my life? And that's where it becomes like this really cool dynamic interplay of my relationship to food and my relationship to myself. And that's really what I like to help the clients do. It's like so powerful to see like your patterns in life in general. How's your self-care in general? Are you using food to cope with your emotions because you're literally not eating enough? You're not sleeping enough. You're not, um, you don't have meaningful relationships with people. You're not, um, there's so many things you're not, um, you don't have anything meaningful in your life. That's, I say that to clients sometimes. Is this a clue? Is your eating a clue? Are you binging at 9 p.m. every night because you're so sad about the way your bedtime routine went? Do you need to change your bedtime routine? Do you need a therapist? Do you need a parenting coach? Right? So like, yes, it's easy to fall into traps of despair and um, and how could how could this be? How did this get so terrible? Why is it so terrible? Um, but also at the same time, these could be like really powerful cues. Like, Hey, um, my, my 9 PM binging pattern is really giving me insight into the fact that I need more support in X, Y, Z. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a powerful thing. And I want to encourage you and clients to get in touch with that eating pattern. Maybe it's not an eating pattern. Maybe it's a thought pattern. Every day at 2 PM, I feel so disgusting. I look in the mirror, I berate myself. I come home and I feel disgusting. Okay. Why 2 PM? Why are you rating yourself? Whose voice is that? All these things that we could do together, or maybe I could give them a sticky note to take to their therapist. But still, the thought patterns around our food, our body, these are all things that are patterns in general that could help us, not for everyone, but most of the time, those those thought patterns or those food behaviors are giving us clues into really important things. Um, so that's, as you could tell, I'm very passionate about the whole eating emotional thing because there's so much that we can glean from it in a really beautiful, positive way. It doesn't have to be terrible. Like you have to change your whole life and feel terrible about it. It's just a way to get to know yourself a little bit better. Um, the other principles are respecting your body. So learning a really powerful part of that um, principle is besides for the way my body looks, which is how we relate to our bodies. And it makes sense. We live in a physical world going beyond that and saying, what has my body done for me? How do I show up in this body? How do I recognize that this is my one and only body that I get to live in my entire life and how it lets me walk and it lets me eat and experience pleasure and smell things and clap and show love to other people and just literally travel through the world, right? Um, That's a really powerful thing to think about. And yes, we do get to joyful movement and gentle nutrition. And those are forms of self-care. And I will say this, it says all the time, I think movement is so important. It helps me. Um, it, it puts me in a better mood. It helps me with anxiety. I try to exercise every single day. When I don't, I feel like I want to move. Actually, I, I heard this recently that um, a good clue for 
um, needing to exercise is like restlessness or feeling really tired, but really that's a cue that you have to move your body and get your blood flowing. And I've not lost an, one pound from movement. I've, I have, haven't today. I've always moved in some capacity since I could, since I was into it in high school, but now like I might go to the gym every single day, go with a friend, go to a class. And it's one of my hobbies and it has nothing to do with weight. Just really feels good to me. Um, and gentle nutrition means that we are focusing on nutrition to an extent. So are we, are we eating fruits and vegetables? Do we have fiber in our meals? Um, are we eating foods that contain protein, carbs, fat, because we need all those nutrients in order to live and survive in this world. And now that, that will always be an interplay between our hunger, fullness, satisfaction cues. We don't want one to take too much space. We want it to be comfortable. We're not obsessing about it. And that's something that usually someone has to work with an intuitive eating dietitian to get to, because if they, if they're feeling that they're having disordered eating around or just disordered thoughts around their food, or especially if they have a diagnosed eating disorder, yes, they need someone to help them with that. Um, and a therapist to help them get over the, the thoughts that they can't, that they're not, they're not able to overcome the behavior. So they will need a clinical team if they have an eating disorder, um, and making peace with food. So that's, I try to do that one last. It comes more naturally when you do it last and it's equalizing all food. All food has the same moral judgment. So there's no such thing as I'm so good. I ate an apple. I'm so bad. I ate a piece of cake. There's just food. Food is food. You might feel uncomfortable because you ate quote unquote too much for your body, but that doesn't mean you will now indulge in a big pile of guilt for the next hour. It just means, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to do next time. Really learning to make peace of food. So that's how I interpret the intuitive eating process. Um, I'm majorly over, oversimplifying it for this episode, but I hope that I tried to teach you how this has, um, this could become like intuitive living, not just intuitive eating and how, even though I'm clinically trained as a dietitian, and I also have this training as an intuitive eating counselor, they really are um, something that work together. And it doesn't mean that because I don't put you on a diet, I don't help you with nutrition. It just means that I have a totally different angle of helping you. And the podcast, I really tried to interview all people from all different walks of life. So you could get like, well, when Gila says that intuitive eating is about intuitive living, I want to hear from a therapist perspective. I want to hear from somebody going through the intuitive eating process, somebody who had an eating disorder, um, different types of therapists, somatic work or EMDR or um, EFT tapping, which is something that I learned about. And it's really cool way to process your emotions. Not that I'm an expert in, the, in those things, but things that have helped me in my own personal life and some things that I might clue my clients into, they might work with a different um, practitioner with some of, the, some of the things I talk about or certain books that I recommend. But I still think that there's like so much to, uh, intuitive eating has opened my life and my eyes up into so many different areas of my life. So that's really what I'm trying to do on the podcast. But this was a special solo episode because I still want you to understand what intuitive eating is. When you come to my podcast, what is intuitive eating? Why am I teaching it? What's this podcast trying to um, accomplish in the world? And I really appreciate you being here. Um, I have so many episodes at this point. If you go to, if you go to anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you could just um, um, plug in my name, Gila Glassberg. My podcast is called Get Into It with Gila. And this usually goes on my IGTV. And that's why I'm saying it, because obviously if you're listening on the podcast, you know where to find me. But if you're listening, I put this on IGTV, I put this on YouTube, 
I'll put it on Facebook. I'll put it on LinkedIn. You can find me in a lot of places. I also have a blog. And if I do say so myself, I think there's a lot of really good reading material on the blog. I try to explain so many different aspects. I've written for Wellsprings. And actually this month I was featured in one of their articles. Um, not featured, I guess I put in my input. I love to write. And I think that if you are starting a business or a private practice, put yourself out there. Um, you might not be a good writer, but you might be a good speaker. You might not be a good speaker, but you might be a good content creator. Like the world needs you. The way that Tippy Gross sort of explained it to me is like when you walk into Walmart and there's things on the shelf that you need, are they like being a good salesperson or are they just providing you what you need? So I try to take my ego out of it when I show up to create content and show up in the world. Like I try to think of it as like people need this information and I'm here to provide it. So follow me on Instagram at gila.glassberg.intuitiverd. Check out the podcast, check out the website, and you could sign up for a free 20-minute consultation to see if we're a good fit at www.gilaglassberg.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.